1: Can I just ask? Shut "Shut up, Evan. I'm curious. Could you shut up, Evan? One thing I was thinking about. Shut up, Evan. So there are some rumors out there. Evan, shut Shut up! up, Is it okay if I just ask? Shut "Shut up, up, Evan. Okay, but can I just? Shut up, Evan. I didn't even say anything. Hi, people. What's up? It's Evan Ross Katz, and you are listening to Shut Up, Evan, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I'm Evan Ross Katz, and I'm changing the opening from hey guys, what's up to hey people, what's up? Because there's just something about when I say it lately where I just, I second guess myself and I'm like, I just, I don't like saying, hey you guys, hey guys, I was, hey guys, what's up? Yeah, I just don't like that as much. I don't know. I can't even really explain it other than to say I was sitting here brainstorming before of some other thing I could say. I thought about, hey humans. And then I just, I was like, that's not, how I'm going to address you all. And then I was like, hey, you all, but that doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Hey, people, what's up? It's Evan Ross Katz, and you're listening to Shut Up, Evan. As I said, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I wasn't going to record tonight. I usually sort of schedule these, and I'm feeling a certain kind of way about something. And I just spoke to somebody else who mentioned a similar feeling that they're in. So I decided, you know what? Why not talk about? The emotion in its most raw state. And that is, I made the dumb decision. I have a Google alert on my name. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe some of you are like the ego maniac in this person is so off-putting. I do though. I have a Google alert and I clicked on the Google alert and it brought me to a Reddit thread about my book. And I just spent like a half an hour on the couch. I guess you would call this doom scrolling, emphasis on the doom but also emphasis on the scrolling, I, I was I was deep in it. And I just read the, the meanest things about me and my book, really mean things, some with worth. I mean, there was a the whole thing pointing out all of the inaccuracies in the book, like just um, factual errors, you know? And there are quite a few, I'm embarrassed to say there are quite a few. And then there were other comments just about my writing and, just, you know, horrible, horrible things. And I couldn't stop looking at it. So then I happened to be texting with a friend, an actor friend of mine, and I complimented um, a recording of his that I was listening to that happened to come on on my Spotify. And he was like, oh, thank you so much, Evan. I was just reading some things that people were saying about me on the internet and I was feeling really down. And this message from you really brightened my day. And I'm like, wow, it." must be so strange to have to live in a a world in which you can log on and sometimes read these things about yourself. And I used to hear this from actors or, you know, people in Hollywood, people in the entertainment world. um, And I would always say to them, because I don't know how how or why, but I thought I was um, in some sort of position to say, just don't read the comment section because it seems as though there's a problem and there's an easy solution. And we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't. And this isn't just people that are in the entertainment world. I don't think we should read things that people are saying about us on the internet, but at the same time, it's really hard not to. And I think that does have something to do with the ego because there is a part of me in, in, I mean, again, I'm in the raw state of this emotion, I'm thinking out loud right now but i'm like get rid of the google alert but then it's like i need the google alert for something it's like you want to f- be able to filter the kinds of things that you're taking on because i didn't i wish i had not spent that half hour doom scrolling but i i couldn't not or rather i need to build a practice in which i cannot that's sort of i guess what's becoming illuminated to me right now but I just wanted to share this to say that I think it's just really easy. Actually, I should speak. I should speak from my personal perspective. I think I'm someone who throws stones at glass houses sometimes, and I'm having one of those aha moments, which I think led me to get on the mic right now. But anyway, I wish I hadn't read that. Some of it I did find useful. There, there are some things that I read where I was like, hmm. Book number two, I would take that advice. I would be more thoughtful about this thing or that thing. So it wasn't a fruitless endeavor. It wasn't a worthwhile endeavor. Maybe there was some worth to it, who knows. But this to say, I just think being on the internet um, is strange. It's strange and I, I'm, I, I don't hear a lot about it from people because I think there's, um, we don't talk about the Fight Club kind of mentality, first rule of Fight Club, we'll talk about the Fight Club, but um, I don't know, I felt something, and it was it was interesting to hear somebody else's experience, and, and think about it from the perspective of how I used to hear that, and now that I'm a little bit feeling it, I think I have a different perspective on it, funny how that happens, isn't it? Anyway, <sighs> sometimes you just need to take a deep breath. But this is me. This is how I get sometimes when I'm feeling a certain way about something. And I decided to (laughs) to finally close out and express how I feel with the hope that I will get off the microphone right now and I will take a deep breath. I will not log back into that. And I will try and find other things to um, put in my mind. Maybe I'll read something. Anywho, thank you all for hearing me out on this. I'm so excited for today because I'm obviously been a big fan of this person for a long time, but I've actually really enjoyed getting to know this person. And a funny thing about our guest uh, who, let's just reveal it now, Cynthia Arrivo is our guest today. And Cynthia is someone who her and I sort of uh, developed this voice memo friendship. And there was one instance, I think it was backstage during the Oscars, I want to say, several seasons ago. And I loved Cynthia's dress so much that I messaged her asking her a question about it for a paper story that I was doing. And Cynthia's just like casually backstage at the Oscars sending me a voice memo about her dress. I was able to then use that quote for my paper magazine story because that's just how she does things. She just gets stuff done. She really does. And I I really admire that. Anyway, it was such a thrill talking to her and super duper cool to have um, a friend of hers and a new friend of mine call in to get in on the conversation. That's one thing about the podcast that I really enjoy is is in addition to the guests, getting to talk to some other folks and sort of brainstorm questions with them for the guest. So without any further ado, I guess I blew my load early by saying, but... Let's throw to the great, Cynthia Arrivo. Shut up, Evan. She is an Emmy, Grammy, and Tony Award winner, as well as a two time Academy Award nominee. And lest we not leave out her two Golden Globe nominations and two Screen Actors Guild nominations. She earned acclaim for her portrayal of Celie in the 2013 Menier Chocolate Factory production of The Color Purple, and went on to win a Tony Award for the role when the show was revived on Broadway in 2015. Her other stage credits include Rosemary in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream, and Kathy in The Last Five Years. She made her on-screen debut in Steve McQueen's Widows and went on to star in Drew Goddard's acclaimed Bad Times at the El Royale. She is perhaps best known for portraying Harriet Tubman in her Academy Award-nominated turn in Harriet. She was also nominated for Best Original Song that year at the Ceremony. She most recently appeared on screen in the film *Needle in a Time Stack* and is currently in a production on three films: the crime drama *Luther*, Robert Zemeckis's reimagining of *Pinocchio*, and the highly anticipated film adaptation of the Tony Award-winning musical *Wicked*, in which she'll portray Alphaba opposite Ariana Grande as Glinda. Her television credits include *Chewing Gum*. Broad City, and RuPaul's Drag Race. She earned an Emmy and Golden Globe nomination for her turn as Aretha Franklin in Genius Aretha, and will next star in the Apple Plus TV series Roar opposite AMC Theaters enthusiast Nicole Kidman. She released her debut album, Chapter One, Verse One, in September of 2021, which featured the lead single, The Good. I highly encourage you to go ahead and stream it. All this to say, she is quite an accomplished and decorated entertainer. To know her is to love her. And I could not be more delighted to welcome the wickedly talented, see what I did there, Cynthia Erivo. Before we begin, I just have to express some gratitude. I am extremely elated. I know your schedule is busy and it means so much to me that you would make the time to be here. I would not have been anywhere else. I saw it and I was like, yeah, I'm doing it for sure. You know, I love it. I love to hear it. And I just want to say in preparation for today, I revisited much of your work and I rewatched Widows, your 2018 Steve McQueen film debut. And I just want to say for those out there that missed this movie, first of all, shame on you. But anyone out there listening, please go and watch this movie. Your performance, I forgot how effing good you are. And so I just had to tell you off the bat, Widows must see filmmaking.
2: Thank you. Thank
1: you very much. I appreciate that. (laughs) I want to start by asking about your running journey, which you post about regularly on Instagram and inspire me and others each and every day. Um, you like me have run the New York city marathon before, but you unlike me pre-gamed for the 2021 Emmy awards by running a half marathon, which is something I cannot relate to. Uh, what has running given you beyond the physical?
2: Um, I think it gives me a space to sort of meditate in. Um, I didn't expect it to to do that. At first, it really was like a fitness journey type thing. But soon I realized that when I ran, I couldn't really be on my phone. I couldn't really, it was sort of like a solo um, experience for me. And that's sort of what I would use to sort of process the day or think about things, concentrate on how I was feeling internally and externally. And so I think it preps me because it doesn't just prep my body it preps my mind as well which is probably why why that's sort of what's where I am right now which is why going and doing a half marathon before the Emmys is sort of like what I needed to sort of release some energy and like be present when I got there yeah
1: I think there's something about that not having access to the phone bit because I'm someone who I'm on my phone often, perhaps too often. And the thing about running that I love so much is that there's just, you do not have the capability to do both at once. So it sort of forces you to look up and interact with the world around you. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I, I was on a run and my, the, my producing partner called me and she said, oh, there's this meeting that's, we, we probably need to do it now. I was like, well, I'm running, so I actually can't speak. So I don't know how this can work. And so I, everyone knows that when, when I'm running this, if you have to just leave me alone and I'll, I'll, get, I'll get back to everybody as soon as I come back. It's sort of like my time for me. Yeah. Mm,
1: which is important to have. A big subject on this podcast has been the HBO Max series and Just Like That. I believe that you, like me, And like many, we're watching and just like that. And without making this a full and just like that podcast, I'm wondering if you can give me top level, any thoughts you had on the series? What did you love? Are you too clamoring for a season two? And what is your overall on Che Diaz?
2: Okay, I definitely want a season two. I loved seeing a character like Che Diaz uh, in this new space that these women are in because it, it, it sort of brings us into the now we get to experience different types of of people, um, and I think Che was really cool. I, I just I don't know there was something that was kind of like charming about Che, and I I loved I loved Che for Miranda, and I mm. think that um, for me the, the the most wonderful moment probably is that moment in in um, uh, in Carrie's house where it's when she's just woken up and obviously she's well she's she's been up and she's we know the moment no.
1: No. No. No.
2: and she's witnessed it and she's been privy to it she's had everything but then she and Miranda have this incredible heart to heart and Cynthia Nixon is incredible but but you just just bears her soul she's you know to be able to be an honest enough to say I'm unhappy in where I am right now and I need something more I need something different I thought it was a really really special moment and I I hope that other women would watch that and see that it's okay to ad- admit that the thing that you're in my, right now might not be the thing that's working for you anybody in those situations can admit that the, that whatever they're in right now is not working and they need more and I, I just thought it was a really beautiful Moment.
1: I am completely aligned with you. Uh, that is writer Samantha Irby that wrote episode five of the series, which is definitely my favorite. Yeah. I mean, hats off to her and everyone involved. Let me ask you this. For so many people, Sex in the City was that show that sort of taught them so much about, you know, gave them a broader sense of a worldview or just was the first thing that they really fell in love with. Was there a movie or television show for you in your formative years was like that?
2: A movie? <laughs> Is it strange to mention Devil Wears Prada? Devil Wears Prada was really for me, for some reason, was one of those. It's one of those movies that I keep going back to, um, probably because I was sort of discovering my love for fashion and the world of it, and and I just like that opening, the opening credits of it with the song "This guy's a beautiful world, is a beautiful world," And she walks through and the outfits keep changing, and she, it just is so brilliant. Um, and and I. I don't know, it, it just gave me sort of like a, a deeper understanding of what that world could be like, not just not just the thing that we think it is, but also the love of it and what people will do when they're in love with, with fashion, how far people will go. And which is probably why I'm the way I am right now and why I pick things I pick. And I think that was one of those pieces. Um, the Color Purple was, one of those films that I think changed my life just because I'd never seen anyone look like me on screen like that before. Whoopi is sort of like the the touchstone and to see her in such vulnerability and, and performing in such a beautiful way and so quiet and so subtle. And I just thought, it, you know, it's one of those things that sort of taught me what I know and how I how I am now. A TV show, I don't know. I don't know if there was a TV show particularly. I, I watched all sorts. For me, I think it might, it might be Buffy because Buffy and, and, and Angel, I watched all the time, every single episode, I had the box sets and all of those things. It's just something about a woman with not just physical strength, but, but vulnerability and the strength of her friends and all of that coming together. I think that just was really, really cool. I just, there was something about it, yeah.
1: I love uh, this combination of the Devil Wears Prada, the Color Purple, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think like what could be a more perfect answer? Let's talk about The Color Purple because uh, what, you know, what makes this film so great is that it has this legacy. And then on top of that, it has this fantastic musical of which you are a part of. And recently it was announced that we're getting a film adaptation of the musical, of the music- which is just yes. so excited. How do you feel to see the legacy of this movie and this musical be carried forward once more?
2: I think it's wonderful. I think the idea that this this piece of art keeps being reborn over and over again is really special and and that another set of people get to experience how joyous it can be and that another set of people can experience the gift that it is and for me it's what it, I always say that it's the gift that keeps on giving because it really it I don't think it's ever stopped changing my life and so I think I'm very excited to see it I'm very excited to see um everyone in it I can't wait to see Fantasia take it up again and and be seely. and I think that that it can be really, really special. So I think it's a wonderful thing that this keeps continuing. If there's something yes. about this that you know doesn't rest. It's wonderful.
1: And what's so wonderful too, is for many of us that saw the production on Broadway or as it are on tour to be able to revisit it once more. I mean, obviously we have these soundtracks from the original production, the revival to keep us satiated, but it's just so exciting to have the opportunity to share this musical with the world, because that's one of the great things that a film adaptation affords. Now, I had the grand opportunity to witness your visionary performance as Celie in The Color Purple during your Tony award-winning run in 2016, a role which you first originated in London in 2013. I wanna zero in on your number, I'm Here, which closes act two of the show. For me, it's one of the finest displays of the power of the musical art form and one you were able to deliver eight shows a week. And I'm wondering if you could describe the feeling of taking that song, building it within yourself and then releasing it each night. I would love to have you expound on this moment, which I, I really think crystallizes Celie's journey.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, that particular song really is, the, it's sort of like a, the culmination of the things that she's been through had to and has had to learn to get to that moment of self-realization because it isn't enough for her to have left Mister. It isn't enough for her to know that she can make it uh, on her own. Um, it isn't enough for her to have fallen in love with Suge and to, fa- to have found love. That isn't enough be- because essentially she's moving from one person to another uh, and, and hasn't, when she moves in with Suge and when she leaves with Suge, she hasn't found the strength to be her own person yet. When you get to the song, I'm Here, you have to have found the space within you to understand that everything you need is already there within you, with or without someone. And that the love of self is more important than the love of everybody else. When you can love yourself the most, then you have the capacity to love everyone as fully as you, as you want to. And I think that's what I'm Here is about. the time i got to that song rightfully so you're exhausted and that's how it's supposed to be there's nothing else you can give except for that song the release of it was always ground shaking for me it was always um i always had to earn the moment i'm you know the last words of the song are i'm beautiful and i'm here i had to earn it i had to work through the song to get to those last words and and mean it yeah
0: hmm.
1: What was it like for you at the end of that number? Cause you know, you're talking about earning it and by the end of the number you have earned it. And I'm just wondering what it feels like on the other side and then to have that experience eight times a week. Like you're have this grand catharsis and then you do it over and over again.
2: Yeah. I mean the word sunshine came to my mind when you said what does it feel like on the other side of it that's what it feels like it feels like you sort of let go of everything because up, up until that point you're sort of like there's a tension that doesn't really leave you up until that point and then when you get to sort of proclaim those words everything sort of falls off and and strangely enough within our production that's what happened with the with the set design like the light it got lighter and brighter but not just in one spot but like all across the stage became a little brighter and it felt, you feel lighter and, and, and that's how I felt. It felt like the sunshine had come out and I felt lighter and to do it over and over again, you have to, again, you have to go through the, the entire show to get to that point, but there is always um, the knowledge that sunshine's coming, you know, which is really, which is really wonderful.
1: We're talking about theater. You work in theater, film and television. And one of the unique things that theater affords is the opportunity for fans of a production to go to a stage door and have a moment with an actor that move them in a certain way. And maybe it's an autograph, maybe it's just a hi, hello. And I'm wondering what that's like for you as a performer to get to see the faces, maybe shake the hands up, take a photo with the people and hear from them. Cause that's something that film and television doesn't afford.
2: There's something really special about being able to see the people who have been there for the last two hours with you, sitting and watching. Um, And and at this particular show, there is, everyone just became really open by the end of this show. And so when you would meet people at the end, people would wanna to speak to you and tell you about their their stories and tell you how they relate to Celie and how they relate to whichever other character and how they felt about her and how uh, they feel the strength because she's gained the strength to do something that they've been scared of doing. And I had so many stories and so many people trusting me with their their stories that I, I came to see it as something that was really um, special and something that was, um, I don't know, it, it's not, it's a gift to be able to to experience that with people, especially if at a show like this. People want to share their stories and they want to, to confide in you um, if they're experiencing things. And I've, I've had, I still have it today. People who have been to that show and they saw me in it and they were experiencing something at the time. And they, if we didn't meet, they meet me now and they still tell me the story of what they, experienced that day or experiencing in that, that during that time. It's really special. It's really special.
1: I agree. Yeah. I think there's something about being seen by the people that you saw that just changes you. I was the kid that stage door musicals all the time. And to have those interactions, it was so meaningful. It was like life affirming. Let's go back to young Cynthia. I'm wondering how you would describe your younger self.
2: Um, determined uh she was I, I I'd say she was clever, creative, inquisitive, curious uh probably l- less outgoing than I am right now. I think I was a little shyer than I am now, but um that that w- disappeared <laughs> quickly um yeah I, I i like the little the the little Cynthia I like younger Cynthia, but she it, it she had to learn how to be confident you know she got a couple knocks here and there but, but she was She's pretty brave. She, she made it this far.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: What was your favorite part about school growing up?
2: Oh, um, learning and re- reading books were my favorite thing. I don't know there was something, you know, when, before drama came along and before acting came along, for me, it was books, reading and, imagining and stories I'm the kid that was you know I got my book at the at school and I would read it and I would read it on the train and I would read it on the way home and I would get into the house and I would take my shoes and I would read the book at, when I got through the door that was me I loved reading and writing I loved storytelling and stories and all of that creative writing literature and and for me that was sort of my outlet that and music and that that was sort of that was the thing that I loved the most about school and I, when I was at high school which would be secondary school for us I was in I was in the band or in the we had an orchestra so I was in the orchestra and we were playing music and learning the semantics of music and the theory of music was really really fun as well that was
1: those were my touchstones yeah before we continue let's take a break and check in with today's sponsors I wanna take a moment to tell you about a product that I first discovered last year and has quickly become a staple in my daily routine. It's called Sniff. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm big on smelling good, but finding a signature scent can be difficult. Enter Sniff, a genderless and cruelty-free line of scents made with high quality ingredients designed to perform with staying power. They offer a wide range of scents for all genders and all occasions. How to find the right scent? I don't know about you, but I've become accustomed to doing just about everything from the couch. So I'm big on Sniff's try-before-you-buy kits, which allow you to test drive a scent before fully committing. Every purchase comes with a full-size bottle and a mini sample bottle, the latter of which is perfect for travel. Keep and pay for what you love. Return the rest with free shipping and returns. And since I want you to be fully in on what's what, I highly recommend the brand's Sweet Ash Scent. It's a silky blend of moss, woods, and fir balsam, balanced by hints of tonka and black vanilla bean. In addition to fragrance, Sniff also offers a line of candles, of which the instant karma is my personal fave. The lovely folks at Sniff are offering Shut Up Evan listeners 20% off your order with the code EVAN20. All of Sniff's fragrances, including Sweet Ash, are typically 65, but with our special offer code, EVAN20, you can get it now for 52. Visit sniff.co, that's S-N-I-F dot C-O, and enter promo code EVAN20 at checkout. What are you waiting for? And we're back. So a two-parter, when did you first discover and fall in love with musical theater? Yes. And when did you realize that you had something, something significant to contribute to the art form?
2: Um, I realized that I loved musical theater when I was in high school. I think I was about 16. And we did a production of Bugsy Malone. I think it was Bugsy Malone first. And I auditioned, but I didn't, I didn't get the role that I had auditioned for. Um, I got, there's a character called KG Joe in it, who's like the boxing um, uh, coach. And another girl got uh, Fizzy, who sings the song Tomorrow. There's a song called Tomorrow in it, it's very good. And she wasn't well the day of, or like the week leading up and she wasn't gonna make the show. So they gave me that role. So I ended up playing both of those roles. And I remember feeling completely invincible. So I had learned those two roles and it just sort of felt right. And then the year after that, I think because of what I had done this th- that previous year, they did My Fair Lady and I played Eliza. And I don't know what it was about this particular show something about about it taught me that this was this was definitely part of my future. Um, it was something I could do really well and I felt really good when I was doing it. I felt like I was in a completely different world. So I, that was the first time I knew this is this is probably where I might be.
1: And thank God for that. I mentioned to you that I had a surprise for you. I have uh, friends or fans of the guests that I have on often call in with a question and we're talking about musical theater right now. So I wanted to bring in a friend and uh, an upcoming colleague of yours.
2: Hi Cynthia, it's Ariana. Um, I was very excited when Evan asked me to surprise you with a question for his amazing podcast. And I was realizing, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Um, what are your favorite musicals? What are your top three favorite musicals? And I love you very much. Okay, bye. Speak soon, in like 30 seconds. Okay, bye. Also, love you, Evan. Thank you for having me, briefly. I love her so much. I love her so <laughs> much.
1: I love her so Your So your three favorite musicals. And I have to say, I too am deeply curious to know.
2: Three favorite musicals. Okay. I think it would be wrong of me to, to not say uh, The Color Purple because it really did change my life and it's nothing like I've ever experienced before. And the music is incredible. Oh, this is hard. Three only. This is hard, Evan. I know. Because I have like six and I'm like, these are the musicals that I go back to.
1: Okay. If you want to give a couple, we can, we can expand the category.
2: Okay. So The Color Purple. I... I love Thoroughly Modern Millie. Love. Love Thoroughly Modern Millie. It's one of my favorites. Cheryl Lee Ralph. Come on now. Come on. Come on. Um, Rocky Horror Show is mm-hmm. brilliant. Uh, again, this is very cult classic-y. So, okay. Those are the cult classics. I really do love Wicked. Do you know that I took myself to see Wicked on, the 20, on my 25th birthday? I went by myself. I just, I bought tickets and I went to see Wicked on my 25th birthday. <laughs> Totally Alone. I get it. That was myself. So it is one of my favorite favorites and I can't believe I'm doing it. I can't even believe it. Um, and Last Five Years is one of my favorites. Absolutely. And it is a toss up between, because we, we could go really classic here and say like a Sound of Music or, or a Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. Or I can take you right back to a, like a Debbie Allen. All right, I'm going to say Polly. There's a musical called Polly, based uh-huh. on a, or Pollyanna. And Debbie Allen was the director of the film. It is straight to TV. It's like a TV musical and you can get the VHS. That like, if anyone, if you haven't seen the musical, please see it. it's so, it's so beautiful and brilliant. So that's one of my favorites. Or I can go really sort of modern. And because when I saw Dear Evan Hansen, I was bawling and I saw Ben do it. And that's really how we became good, good friends because he was across the street from, from me. He was at the Music Box and I was at the Jacobs and we would just meet each other at lunch no. and, and just chill and all sit in silence and eat some food and then <laughs> sleep and then go back to our shows. Uh, okay, we'll go color purple. Lurley, Modern Millie, Rocky Horror Show, Ooh, but, but but then, rock, cause, cause it's Tim, isn't it? It's like, it's it's Rocky Horror Show or Annie. him in either one, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: I'm gonna do a two-foot on that one and say it's okay. the Rocky Horror, Rocky Horror Show and Annie because those two musicals are brilliant, right? But he is brilliant in both of them. Okay, um, we're gonna say Polly because it is a classic and gorgeous. And we're gonna say, am I neglecting The Lion King though, Emma? Not, no. I'm gonna say Dear Evan Hansen. I am gonna say Dear Evan Hansen. And I'm, going to, I'm gonna throw in an extra, that's not necessarily the entire musical, but I will throw in a section of Hamilton and that particular section is Wait For It, uh, when it's it's Aaron Burr, otherwise well Leslie Odom Jr. singing "Wait for It" in in Hamilton, it is one of the most thrilling moments I have ever seen in my entire life. That aside, that combined with um, in the room where it happens, him singing those two songs,
1: just just unbelievable, just unbelievable. I love the breath. Now, of that wait answer. a minute.
2: Wait wait a minute oh. now. Oh. Wait a oh. minute. Wait a minute. What I was just reminded of, as I was speaking of singular moments, is um, Audra McDonald doing Billie Holiday at the Emerson Bar and Grill. Unbelievable! 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 So I will. I will do. I'll say that. I'll stop there. That's. I'll, that's what I'll give.
1: I love that. I want to say I have recently been on a Thoroughly Modern Millie revisit. And again, I just want to say Cheryl Lee Ralph's performance of the song Only in New York is so spectacular. Every note, she just, her voice, it's like, it just settles your stomach. It just makes you so, it's delightful. It's just, yeah, I love that. Cause it's like, you know, you always want to go to the big um, Sutton's big numbers, which are great, but the whole score from that show and- Harriet Harris, yeah, so we could go on and on. I know you can't say too much about the film, but if you'll indulge me, what are you most excited about in bringing this? I think calling it eagerly anticipated is an understatement. What are you most excited about bringing this and highly anticipated film to life at long last? I think
2: being able to work, and this might sound facetious, but it's really not. I think I'm really excited about working with Ariana. We, we've had a lot of conversations, we've been talking and we, we've spent time together. And I think she is just as passionate about this, if not more, as, as I am. And I think both of us want to make sure that people both see the stories of these two women who who have this incredible friendship and both want good in the world. Um, and I, I don't know, I just, I just think that there's so much of the world that we get to sh- to show, because we get to put it on film, we get to expand what people believe Oz can be and is. And John, who our director, is very excited about creating this world and creating these new versions that we might not have thought of through myself and, and Ariana. And I, I can't wait. I'm really excited to, to really learn it, to learn the new scripts, to learn the music properly, to like get my teeth into all of it. and I'm just excited. I think auditioning for it was incredible. I, I poured my, I threw myself into this audition so much so that by the end of it, I was ill for four days, like just in bed, unable to move. I got to my door and a fever hit. It was so peculiar, but I think that that's what you're gonna expect from us. We're throwing ourselves into it completely. And, and I think it's gonna be really special, really special.
1: So is it fair to say that your fever waited until after the audition was done? So like, get you through it. How were you through? And then it was like, okay, it's over. Okay, now the fever can set in. Literally what happened? Mm. Because
2: just before I had gone, some I felt something, then nothing. Then it went away. And I was fine. We did the audition. I like, every threw everything into it. Just did as much as I possibly, like, I felt like I was unloading whatever I had like built up inside me to do this thing. I got to my door and just ill, just unwell and basically crawled into bed and i knocked out for like
1: four days. I'm wondering if you've been thinking at all about the riffs of the show, because one thing that wicked superfans like myself are familiar with is that every alphabet and some Glinda's too come in with their own interpretation on so many of those delightful moments within the score, not just talking to find gravity. I mean, there's 100 versions of No Good Deed, for instance. Um, I like to listen to each and every single one. Have you been thinking about your riffs at all?
2: Um, a kind of, what I did was I went back to the original, I went back to Edina. I went back to the beginnings of it, because that's where I sort of can build from. And I tend to let the riffs happen naturally. So if a rift comes in the right place and it feels like it's right and it's purposeful, then it will happen. And if it sticks and we feel like it's right, then it will stay there. I've just been thinking about how to really sort of tell the stories, through the songs. And sometimes that means that a riff is necessary here. Sometimes it means I might take away a riff.
1: Mm. Do you have a favorite song in the show?
2: It keeps changing. It keeps changing. So I'm Not That Girl was was a favorite. Then I sort of jumped, No Good Deed was my very favorite at the beginning. Um, the Wizard and I, like that, I don't know. There's something really, there's just something really endearing about that song, the storytelling in it, the, the it's like it works in chapters, which I think is really it's a special song in that way. And that you can really go from the beginning, you get to the middle, and you get to the end. And it's just a lovely way to tell a story. That's really I think it's one of my and then obviously for good, for good always sort of like comes right. I always end up coming back to for good.
1: One thing I really love about No Good Deed is I don't think there's a lot of songs like it in the Canada musical theater. And I kind of like that. You know, we talk about things like the I Want song or the 11 o'clock number. There are certain staples within a musical often. And No Good Deed does not fit into the framework of the musical template as it exists so often.
2: Yeah, I think because it's sort of like the the anti 11 o'clock numbers.
1: You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And it, but it, I, I love that it's sort of in, in the minor keys. I love that it feels a little darker, but it still has like the breadth and the width. Like it's got the size that you want when it comes to a song, but it still has this sort of like darkness in it. And it's, it's really great. I love, it's a great song to sing. Feels good to mm. sing.
1: Can't wait to hear you sing it. Last thing (laughs) I'll say on the subject is that I'm incredibly excited to potentially get our first studio recording of the song, The Wicked Witch of the East. It's the only song in the musical that's not on the original Broadway cast album because it reveals a plot point within the musical that I think now that we're talking so many years in, I think we are safe to potentially get it on the soundtrack. And so I'm very excited about that possibility. Okay, all right, good, good. can't get enough of shut up evan i don't blame you that's why you have to check out our patreon it's patreon.com forward slash shut evan where you will be able to find advanced access to interviews bonus episodes video clips from the interviews cut for time questions and so much more you don't want to miss out i am fully committing to making the patreon a much more robust experience for season three so again Www. Do people say, yeah. You know, www.patreon.com forward slash Shut Up Evan. I was listening to an interview that Kirsten Dunst gave on the Awards Chatter podcast, and she spoke about her collaborations with director Sofia Coppola, particularly during the Virgin suicides and the way in which Coppola gave Dunst a confidence and a sense of comfort. She mentions one scene in particular when the script called for her to kiss a bunch of boys and she didn't feel comfortable and went to Coppola who told her that she could just bury her face in their necks and they'd shoot it from behind. I was reminded of a Vanity Fair interview that you did with your friend and collaborator, Michaela Cole, and you talk about a similar sense of comfort. And I wanted to know how does having that comfort inform the process of creating work? I don't think it's a coincidence that in both of these cases, you are two actresses working with a female director that is of a similar age.
2: Yeah, I think that the comfort allows you to feel safe. And when you feel safe, you know that you're not gonna be taken advantage of. And when you know that you're not gonna be taken advantage of, there's sort of like, um, you can let go even more. So you can give more of yourself because you know that it will never go too far. And I think that that is, that is what we speak of when it's sort of, you want a comfortability with your director. Um, with Michaela, she just, I just knew that she would take care of me. And same with Casey, when we were doing Harriet, she was, we were so in, in lockstep that she understood what was necessary, what was needed. And those times when it got really hard, she was right there with me. So I knew that she was experiencing it at the same time. Um, And it's not that we want it to be easy at all, and it's not necessarily that we want it to be comfortable and, you know, no hard work. It's just that if you have a level of understanding and comfort between you and your director, you know that you're being watched over, you know that you're being taken care of and you'll know that you're safe so that you can do your work and and know that that you won't hurt yourself mentally or physically. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's incredibly poignant. I I really think a lot about uh, the importance of comfort, not just for actors, but in general, and sort of what that does to change one's uh, possibility of what they can do in a workspace when they have something like comfort present. You incredibly generously gave an interview to me for my book, Into Every Generation a Slayer is Born. And I wanted to know something that you and I talked about in our previous interview that I wanted to bring onto the pod was the character of Kendra, who is a vampire slayer introduced in season two, played by Bianca Lawson. And I'm just wondering um, what it was like for you as a young black girl to see a young black slayer represented on this television show that I know for both you and I was a really important show in our formative years.
2: I was so excited. I was so excited to see her. I just didn't see that many images like that on TV and because I was the weird kid that like wanted to be a slayer and wanted to do action and wanted to be in those kinds of roles, it was very rare that you would find another woman that looks like you or or feels like you uh, on screen doing something like that. So to see Bianca Lawson come in and, and play this very strong, very cool, very competent slayer was really, really exciting. And I wish we'd have seen more of her. I wish. I
1: wish there was, there was more of, of Kendra. Yeah. You and me both. Um, let's talk fashion. You are a fashion icon and it's not just the looks, it's how you wear them. It's your awareness and regard for the fantasy that fashion creates the worlds. It allows us to dream about you give us so much through your fashions. And I'm wondering what does fashion give you?
2: a space to be creative I think sometimes people overthink it and get really safe and I just want to have fun I want people to to want to talk about the piece you're wearing I want people to want to have conversation I want when you pass by someone and something that for them to go oh my goodness what like why why did you choose this and this is look at that color and oh my gosh it makes me smile and I think that that fashion uh, is a way to evoke emotion, not just to look nice. And I think that if you can evoke emotion in someone simply by what you're wearing, then I think you're doing the right thing. And I think that's what I want. I, I, you know, I pick the pieces based on how they make me feel and hopefully they make other people feel something too.
1: You have a favorite red carpet moment. For me, I always come back to your neon Valentino haute couture from the Golden Globes. I just think it is such a striking image and you absolutely served it up. Um, But I'm wondering what some of your faves are.
2: The neon is definitely one of my favorites. We were doing, I think it was the governor's ball for the Oscars and I wore, um, it was like just layers and layers of dark green chiffon and I have green glasses and green hair and the whole thing is just flowy and green and that's one of my favorite favorite moments I loved it and actually recently the long racer back white leather Louis Vuitton dress with the ruffles at the bottom feathers at the bottom with the blue and the green and the white I just felt like a million dollars in that I felt badass and I felt sexy and I felt really good in that piece so that those are my favorites so far and they sometimes change sometimes it you know shifts from you know from things that I I'll re-remember things and I'm like oh I really love that like the gold the gold column dress that I wore to perform um at the Oscars one of my favorites by Vera Wang um and my Oscar dress which was um by um uh, Versace so yeah those are my favorites.
1: What do you like to wear when you're just around the house or in rehearsal or or not in sort of, you know, some big public setting?
2: This is what I I wear. This is like a piece by Marcus Almeida. I, it depends on how I'm feeling on the day. Sometimes I want to dress up and be kind of cool. If I'm wearing sweats, then they're sort of like matching. I'll put the shoes with it and sneakers with it, or I'll put a boot with it. When I go to rehearsals, I'll probably wear some really cool sports bits and pieces and I don't know, I just like mixing it up. My sort of away from the carpet um, wardrobe is very, very varied, very colourful. Um, I don't tend to wear a lot of black at all. And I just, I just sort of have fun, even when I'm at home. I, they, it tends to be with a pair of spectacles. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm not on the red carpet, I, I'll find a, a, any pair of spectacles to match everything I'm wearing. They have all colours. <laughs> wow. um, and all the time.
1: Mm, Hmm. Lovering. You know, we're talking about the glamour of the red carpet, but I want to ask you another component of the industry that you're in. And that is the press tour of which you've been on many at this point. And I don't think people often realize the monotony of the press tour. And I think part of the reason why Gaga's 99 people in a room clip went so viral was seeing her deploy something that I think many actors probably do out of self-preservation, which is just you start to get asked the same question at nauseam. And so you start to give the same answer. I'm wondering what it's like for you or what you can illuminate about that process when you have a camera up in front of you and you kind of have to be on. And yet I think, I imagine rather, there comes a point when you've been asked every question you can be about a particular project, but you have to you know, put this veneer on of first time you've ever heard it.
2: Yeah, I mean it can be exhausting, but I I think what I tend to do is try and find something interesting about the person in front of me so that we can end up so instead of having them ask the same question that they, they maybe the last person asked me, I'll I'll find something that we can talk about. We can have a conversation about. And that way I don't end up answering the same thing over and over again, or I challenge myself to find a different way to answer the same question. If if this if one person nine times out of ten, the person who came into the room the like 10 minutes ago and the next person that came in after them, they will ask the same question. And so my brain goes, well I answered that question. So I'm going to ask maybe I'll answer it in a different way. Maybe I'll find something else different to say or, or I'll I'll explain something else. But otherwise you just end up feeling like you're on a sort of merry-go-round that just doesn't ever stop. And and i want to have fun during those things i want to enjoy it just as much as everybody else that's why you know even like when you're walking on the red carpet some people hate getting their picture taken some people hate doing the red carpet i really enjoy it because i have gotten to know a lot of the photographers and they they know some of my quirks and they'll ask for certain things and and it'll, it'll be like a nice little group situation i can have conversations with them throw comments over there and that way, it doesn't feel like the same thing that we've done over and over again. Especially when you're doing the press, you'll see the same faces. So if you remember those faces, then you then it stops being like you're taking photos of me, and I'm going to go, or we're having the same conversation, and I'm going to. It starts to become a relationship, and we get to have we get to have fun that way.
1: It's so interesting you say that. Yeah. Like it's the symbiosis I've been doing, you know, a round of press for my book and I'm suddenly being asked questions about myself for the first time. And I'm so uninterested in talking about myself, but I deflect so often. And I'm like, I'll ask the question back or something. And it kind of reminds me of what you're saying, which is that like you, you know, the photographer wants to take a photo of you, but you reach a point where you're like, well, you want to see the photographer and have an interaction with them and make it. So it's not all about you, but rather about each other.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly.
1: So you are a public figure in a media landscape that craves knowing anything and everything about our stars. For instance, people love to speculate about your romantic life. And I'm wondering how you contend with creating the necessary barriers.
2: Um, I guess I just have, I make the decision about what I want to share and how I want to share it and if I want to share it at all. I think we're in a business where we're sort of made to think that we have to share everything, but actually just as human beings in real life, we don't share everything with everybody because not everything is for everybody. And so I try to, to lead with grace. And if there is a question that I'm asked that I don't feel quite comfortable about asking, I, I, answering, I'll just say, you know, it's for, for me to know and you to maybe never find out, but then that's okay. You know, it's just, it. it I think that it that it's okay for us to not share everything because otherwise we'd have nothing to keep for ourselves. And I think our everyone's sanity is really important. And so if I don't, if I can get to keep a couple of the things that I love to myself, I know that I can stay a little sane and I can still be able to share as much as I possible, possibly can. And I love sharing, but I know that there are also things that I want to keep for myself and that's okay. And I think that it, when we lose the guilt of not, having to share everything will be okay.
1: (laughs) Talk to me about your relationship with social media. I mean, I think one of the great things, and this is tied to the question I just asked, is that public figures are afforded more autonomy in crafting their own stories. Um, It doesn't mean that there's not still the same media landscape that likes to take a pull quote and make a splashy headline, but it allows for you to give your fans access to your world on your terms. And I'm wondering what that sort of um, autonomy, what that does for you and, and does it, is there a freedom in that in, in being able to be in control of the narrative that you're putting out?
2: I think so. I think I, I, I have a lot of fun with, I'm, I'm really only on Instagram and, and TikTok and that's kind of it. Um, I, I sort of share the things that make me happy um even in my, my stories you'll find I'll share the things that I'm interested in things that make me happy things that make me laugh things that make me smile talents that I really um, that I'm leaning towards people that I've seen that I'm interested in and and that way you sort of like get a, a viewpoint of my mindset and what I'm thinking and and I sort of get to let people in to a point and obviously there are things that you might not know but you know enough to know who I am and I think that that's the wonderful thing about social media you can sort of share who you are um, and how you feel about things without someone painting an opinion on you, which I think is kind of refreshing.
1: Now, one of your unique aesthetic choices within your Instagram reshares is that you will shift the image around so that it's not center on the screen. And I'm just curious about sort of like, I love it because I think it just, I know I'm in your stories when I start to see the image, you know, a little off center. Yeah, can you tell me about that aesthetic choice?
2: I just like it. I like seeing it like that. Um, and I, I've been doing it for a while just because it makes me happy. And like, I will, I'll take something and I'll put it in the corner and I'll remember, oh, well, I put that in the corner so I'm gonna move it over here because it will keep your eye going, oh, this is yeah. interesting. And, and I think that it's a nice sort of like brain wake up. I think, yeah. I totally agree. I, I often think about,
1: I don't know who told me this when I was younger, but someone instilled this idea where it's like, every moment is an opportunity to inform people more about your point of view you know in how you see the world so it's not just what you share but what you're adding to that is how you share it and so i just think it's a small detail but it's one that again like i said i always know i'm in your stories because you have a i
2: love that you noticed that
1: unique the footprint story. of course because
2: so i really have like i really do put the effort into like how i present each story so it is never you'll notice that they are never ever like just straight linear So ever thank you for noticing that that's of really cool course.
1: Does Cynthia Arrivo have a close friends list?
2: It's a very small close friends list. Yes, but I feel like I made it by accident
1: and I should probably go into it
2: and check who's there and like add or take away. I think I did it by accident.
1: I tried making one at one point and it just felt so time consuming. It's already time consuming enough, you know, reposting yeah. things. And, and then I was like, and then to add this added layer of like, you know, this gatekeeping to it all I just was like this it just feels too complicated
2: I see it comes up but I'm like I don't know who's in that list or if I did that like I don't remember doing it so I feel like I maybe pressed some like press a button and it said add to close friends and it wasn't a a total accident because I don't
1: ever use it before we continue let's take a quick break and hear from some of our sponsors Can we talk about Sunday Riley? Not only is it the name of not one, but two of my favorite Buffy the Vampire Slayer characters, it also just so happens to be one of my favorite skincare brands. Sunday Riley uses advanced, clinically proven ingredients blended with balancing botanicals for non-irritating, fast-acting formulas. Just because the end of times might be near doesn't mean you can't have great skin. Some of my current obsessions include their Global Best Selling Good Genes All-in-One Lactic Acid Treatment, CEO 15% Vitamin C Brightening Serum, and their Autocorrect Brightening and Depuffing Eye Contour Cream. As a person with notoriously puffy eyes, the last one is a really saving grace. If you want to visibly improve the look and feel of your skin, look no further than Sunday Riley. Sunday Riley is available at Sephora and Sephora.com. If you were to look in my fridge right now, beneath the shelf of Topo Chico, you would find cases of Can. These are my currently in rotation batch as I keep party packs stowed away as well. So what is Can? Can is a social tonic micro with cannabis that gives you a light and uplifted buzz, but with no hangover, fewer empty calories, all natural ingredients, and no regrets. Best of all, it tastes fucking good. So sure, I drink it for the THC CBD effects, but I also just enjoy it as a refreshment du jour. Blood orange cardamom is my favorite, but the grapefruit rosemary also slaps. For more information, including where to find it at your local dispensary and delivery options, follow at drinkcan with two N's or head to drinkcan.com. That's D-R-I-N-K-C-A-N-N.com. And we are back. I have a bit of an esoteric question, but I'm wondering, why do you do what you do? We know what you do and how well you do, but I'd love to learn more about why you do.
2: I do it because um, I love the connections it creates. I love the idea of being able to tell stories of people that I haven't met before, or I want to get to know. Um, And it brings me closer to people I might not understand. Um, When it comes to music, I love the idea of being able to express myself in the most honest way I know how, and it it really does bring me joy. It really makes me happy. Like, this is, I can imagine myself doing other things, but I don't know that I, that they would make me as happy as this. That's, that's why.
1: Yeah. And and speaking of your music, you know, we've seen you perform in so many roles and, and heard you on cast albums, but you also make your own music. And I'm wondering what it's like, the difference in process or even being in the studio when you're, in the studio and you're singing as you, and and these emotions are coming through you and not um, filtered through a character.
2: Creating my own music is far less removed than it is when I'm doing someone else's music. You know, when you're singing in the studio, you I don't you don't have to be there from its inception. So, you know, you begin and you're in a room. It could take anything from three hours to a, a, an entire day or a week to create something that is mine. And then I have to go in and then, I'll do the vocal and I don't, might not like that vocal and I have to go back in and I'll re-record it and I'll you know, vocal produce. I'm in there every step of the way. Whereas if it's a cast album, I didn't have to write a song. I didn't pick the melody. I didn't do any of that. And I, I'm simply the conduit through which the music comes through, um, which is wonderful. But I think that the ability to connect to something more on a more personal level is, is the biggest difference, yeah when it comes to creating music.
1: I just have to tell you, when my dad was in the hospital awaiting his transplant, I surprised my parents and came home and visited and playing in the hospital room was your album on repeat.
0: Are you joking?
1: no. And I was just, I couldn't believe that my dad who, I don't think my dad's someone who regularly listens to any music outside of like the band Chicago, literally that's like, and sticks, S-T-Y-X, sticks. And he had your album on repeat. And so when you messaged me after I shared the story about my dad, I, w- I sent him the screenshot of your message and I was like, how appropriate.
2: I can't even. I know. My mind is low. Yeah. How did he, like, he just, it was just.
1: He found your music that that's the joy that's the joy of your music it's 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 yeah that
2: is so wonderful. yeah
1: but it was really moving that's amazing yeah
2: i'm like going so... oh, no, away that's <laughs> that's like you've i'm floored i can't even that's crazy
1: but isn't that the wonderful thing about you know creating this music per se again as opposed to just doing a, a theatrical album is that you're telling stories that are reaching these new audiences and really touching people. And it's just, it's an incredible thing. And it's, a, and it's just, you know, going into the hospital, which is not a great place to be for anyone that's been there and, and getting to hear something that is bringing someone you love such joy. It's a really magical thing. And, and that's one of the great gifts that, that you give to so many.
2: Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. That's the, and that is also why I do it to like mm. the, like the idea that your dad and I are connected because I made this album and he is enjoying that music. And those are stories from
1: my life. Like that's, it's amazing. Absolutely. And to add to that, it becomes a story of our life, my dad and I. So it's like, that's the great thing is it, it just keeps building and building and building. That's the power of, of music and art in general. Now, you never had a coming out per se, but in an August 2021 Evening Standard profile, when asked about your song, The Good, you confirmed that though the song, which is about the love between two black women, is not necessarily autobiographical, you yourself do identify as queer. I wanna zoom in on your follow-up quote. You added, I don't think anyone thinks of me as a person that has relationships that aren't platonic. So I've never needed to even really discuss anything about my sexuality at all. And I, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind unpacking that a bit because I think there's a lot of there there.
2: Yeah, I think, I, I think, and I don't know if I'm the only person who's experienced that. I think a lot of people seem to, I don't think people think of black women as people who have sexuality at all. They're either hypersexualized or asexual. And there's nothing in between, which is sort of, I think where I, and I think I landed on the side where it's, she's a nice lady who's very good to people then doesn't, we don't think of her as a person who has relationships other than friendship. Um, Cause I've never been, I've, people just never ask. And I and I think maybe it could be out of respect. It could be out of, I don't know. It could be out of not even thinking about it, but yeah, it's that's sort of how I've felt for a long time. So I've never really even had to discuss it because no one's ever thought of it.
1: Hmm. Well, if you wouldn't mind me asking and feel free to, to curb me here, but I'm wondering if you can talk about, um, you know, discovering your sexuality coming into it. And if you, if you had a coming out per se, I'd love to learn a little bit more about sort of like your, your journey through your sexuality.
2: Yeah. I've never had a, a coming out per se. And, and I, I don't know that I necessarily, I've just sort of lived as who I am. Um, I, See myself as queer, by specifically. Um, and, and I, I don't know, I just never saw it as anything other than who I am. It, it's just never been like, it's not been a big deal for me.
1: Yeah, I no, say. I get it. What do you make of coming outs in general? Because I mean, specifically in Hollywood, I think within the queer community, you know this, there's a lot of sort of like debate about the importance of the coming out because on the one hand we live in a world which is largely cisgender and heterosexual. So the more representation, it's often you know, seen as the better. However, as you're kind of saying, for so many queer people, I think especially modern queer people, queerness is so intrinsic to who we are that I don't think we often feel the need to siphon that aspect of ourselves off enough to make some sort of like announcement. And so there's kind of this duality to it of like, it is important. And yet by making it important, I think it can be a little reductive, but I also understand that there are people out there that it's meaningful. I, think
2: I, I you know, it's a, such a tough one because, because no cisgendered heterosexual person has to have a coming out anything. They just are who they are. And I think that it's different from everyone. And I think that for some people, it's really important to proclaim, and I think, I think that's what it is. I think if we can get to a place where coming out isn't necessarily for other people's benefit, that it's actually for the individual's benefit, if they need it, it is to proclaim that this is who they are so that they themselves can grasp ownership of that as opposed to someone else or anyone else whispering about it, sort of guessing about it, making, Comments about if they, if, if a person needs to proclaim and to claim ownership over who they are, then a coming out might be necessary. But then there are others who just are who they are and they want to move through the world in whatever person they want to be. And so maybe your coming out isn't necessarily needed. I think if we make room for both of those scenarios, we stand to be okay. Like, I think the expectation that someone has to come out should go away. it's the expectation, I think, that makes it difficult. When there is no expectation and a person can do as they they want to, that as it suits them, then I think we might be moving in the right direction.
1: Mm, Very well said. And one more point on all of this, just going back to the original quote, I want to know, when do you feel the sexiest?
2: Oh, when do I feel the sexiest? Strangely, strangely enough, I actually feel really sexy when I'm working out. I feel very sexy when I'm working out. I pick my outfit to work out. You know, I I you know, when I'm running in the middle, like I'm I'm the girl that doesn't mind running in short shorts and like that. And I wanna, I wanna feel good when I'm outside when I'm running. So I feel very, very sexy when I'm running. But I think that I think I, I feel sexy a lot of the time. You, you, like when I'm performing, I feel really, really good. And when I'm, you know, I there was a there was a performance I did at the Disney hall with Gustavo Dudamel um, and he was um, conducting. And I just was like, I wanna wear, I wore this sort of twisted top crop thing and so like jewelry, there was a bra underneath the twisted top. So nipples were pointing out and it was just like barely was on show and there was like a big skirt. I just felt really sexy that day. And I'm like singing Nina Simone and it felt Mm. just, it all felt really good um so yeah it just depends I, I might pick something i wear might make me feel really sexy or uh, i don't know a piece that i'm listening to might make me feel it just, just depends on the day definitely when i'm working out
1: shout out to that fabulous versace dress you wore after to the tony after party after you you wore, won your tony award just because if we're talking about cynthia Rivo's sexiest moments i feel like that has to rank highly definitely i definitely felt that's for sure I'm that yeah as you should a uh, couple last questions um tell me of all of the great singers that you've been afforded the opportunity to sing with which of them and again i'm not saying this is the definitive one i know i'm at it's, you know i'm asking you on the spot here but is there one that comes to mind that was particularly meaningful to be able to share a stage with
2: um i think Ooh.
1: yeah you've had quite a few <laughs> <laughs>
2: um because so each of them had really special moments. Okay, so obviously there's Shoshana, we had our Christmas concert, that was really beautiful to be able to share the stage with each other and to sing that way, very, very, very special. And, and that was one of the defining moments when it comes to duetting, there aren't many people, I don't pick a person to duet with randomly, you know, and, and that was really, really cool to be able to share stage with her. And um, Jennifer Holiday, was really, it was, we had our last performance. Um, It was the last show. I don't know, there was something about that particular moment on stage that just felt electric. I don't know what it was about that performance, about that, those moments where we got to sing together. It just felt really, special, She's, she was incredible, she was really incredible and she, I don't know, I just, knew that, that day, I guess I didn't understand how much the show had meant to her until that moment, I knew it meant it meant a lot to her but I just knew that it meant, it was an extremely important moment for her on that last show and I just, it just was wonderful to witness her do what she does, yeah.
1: I love that, and I do wanna shout out uh, your duet with Shoshana that you guys did. Uh, you did a cover of When You Believe, uh, the Stephen Schwartz song from um, The Prince of Egypt. It's on YouTube right now as part of a, a Seder of some kind, right, a virtual mm-hmm. Seder. Yep. Oh my God, your voices together, I mean, run, don't walk. Uh, okay, couple last <laughs> things. We know you are an avid runner. When you're not being the fabulous multi-hyphenate that we know and love you for, what are your hobbies and pastimes?
2: Um, I used to knit a lot and I have to go back to that, but I love knitting. Um, pastimes, I I actually like to cook. Uh, I don't have very much time to do it oft- often, but I, when I do, I really like enjoy it. I, I, I love that. And obviously um, I have two dogs who I love very much. So spending time with them is a really cool pastime. And reading right now, like I love to read, but I've sort of like dived into reading a lot as so I'm trying to get a book every month, if not two.
1: Say you have guests coming over for a dinner and you're cooking, what are you making?
2: I am making hopefully we'll make two alternatives because I I if there's a if there's a vegetarian or a vegan person coming to to dinner, then we'll make something that feels good for them. And maybe we'll do like, I think there's a way to do a really cool like vegetarian quiche or something like that, which is really it's like a good crumbly um pastry. Um, I, I did, uh, oh, what is it? It's a, a fish dish for someone. It's like, um, it's essentially like fish that's lightly battered and then you cook it in butter. There's a name for it, but I, I, it escapes me now, but I did that and I can make you any cake you want pretty much. So.
1: Mm, love. You will be portraying the Blue Fairy in the live action film adaptation of Pinocchio opposite Tom Hanks as Geppetto. As if your schedule was not booked and busy enough, is there (laughs) anything you can tease us about this project?
2: Only that I think it's really, really fun and sweet and special and I really enjoyed doing it. Um, It was probably the most pleasant, easy job I've ever (laughs) had to do because I wasn't there for very long to to film it and and I'm, I'm singing live. And I, I loved doing it. It just is really cool. Mo- a lot of it is um, motion capture, I think. And but some of it is live action. So it's like a combination, a lovely combination of, of both
1: things. Yeah. I love it. We are so excited for that. My last question for you, when you look at this remarkable trajectory that your life has taken you on thus far, cause there's a lot more life left to live for you and a lot more work in you. When you look back on this, I'm just wondering what young Cynthia would make of this stratosphere of success. And and I say stratosphere because I feel like you just keep expanding on people's, the limitations that people put on others is like, oh, you're an actress or you're a songwriter or you do theater or whatnot. And I feel like you are constantly permeating all of these spaces. And again, I said multi-hyphenate earlier, and that's really what you are. I'm just wondering what young Cynthia would say to all of this success.
2: Um, I think young Cynthia would be really, really excited at what is happening. Uh, I think that we've sort of surpassed her wildest dreams. There was a dream that she had and I think we sort of like levitated above above that. And I think she'd be running around in circles, very, very pleased with what's going on and, and extremely, extremely happy that, that sh- she turns into me. Um, And I think she might be quite excited about it. Yeah,
1: Mm. very proud, I think. Yeah. Mm. That's lovely to hear. I want to thank you again for your time, having a guest of your esteem. uh, The value of that is not lost on me. And I just want to underline the fact that you are so incredible, both as a performer and as a human being in the the limited interactions I've had with you, I know this to be the case. And so I just want to thank you
2: you thank you and I, i'm i'm very much enjoying this christopher john rogers moment uh i love it
1: you get it you get, of
2: it. <laughs> get it of course I do. shut up evan shut up evan
1: shut up evan shut
2: up evan shut up evan
1: shut up evan is hosted by me evan ross katz and produced by ryan killian Kraus with distribution via acast Special shout out to Alden Peters, Matt Storm, Sean Ross, Hank Kelly, and the myriad others who have contributed their talents, past or present. For more, Shut Up Evan, binge seasons one and two, and become a subscriber on Patreon for bonus episodes, never before seen clips, and more.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen.